Hey, we're starting a brand new series, so if you're visiting here today, it's a great week to join us, because over the next five weeks, we're going to do this series called Masterpiece, and I'm really, really excited about it, because it's going to talk uh, about a lot of the, the fundamentals of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, and how that should change uh, who we are, who we uh, believe ourselves to be, our identity, and we're going to talk a lot about that over the next five weeks. So I hope you'll stick with us and uh, come along, and if you ever miss a week, there's a way on the app that you can go and and uh, watch a video of the sermons you've missed, so you can always check that out. But uh, just to set up what I'm going to speak about this morning, I wonder, I'm sure most of you here have some kind of Facebook account, um, and maybe if you're like me, you, you scroll through that feed and you see different updates about people's vacations, spring breaks, and what they have for dinner, and who they're going to vote for, or who they're definitely not going to vote for, and uh, all sorts of different things. But every now and again, do you notice that people have these like quizzes they do? Some of them are called BuzzFeed quizzes, and these uh, particular BuzzFeed quizzes are which Avengers character are you? It turns out I'm this character. And I always see some of my friends doing these quizzes. And I'll be honest with you, I was a little nervous about doing them myself. I was worried that I would go in there and take the quiz, and uh, without my knowledge, I would uh, go through all the answers, and then suddenly it would publish the results on my Facebook page, and I'd have no control of it. And suddenly, all of my friends and all my family would see that I took the quiz, which Star Wars character are you? And now everyone knows, apparently, I'm Princess Leia, or Jabba the Hutt, or something like that. And I don't, I don't want that publicly known, so I've never really done these quizzes, but I've always been curious about them. So, uh, so this week, I did a little bit more investigating, and I did some of these quizzes. I went to this BuzzFeed site, and I took some of these quizzes. I know some of you are like, seriously, what does this guy do for a living? This is the preparation I do for my messages every Sunday morning. So um, uh, I found out that between Superman and Batman, I'm Superman. That was exciting. Um, I'd, I'd be happy to be either, to be honest. I'm not sure if there's a, a good thing or a bad thing about being Superman over Batman. I'm guessing that uh, just being better than being Lex Luthor or the Joker. But I, I, it turns out I'm Superman. But here's the strange thing. Some of the questions just had no points to them whatsoever. One of the questions was, which is your favorite New York City cityscape? I don't know. I mean, they, they were like four pictures of New York, so I just selected one of them. The next question, um, it showed two pictures of Ben Affleck and two pictures of the guy who plays Superman, and I had to pick a beefcake. Now, I'm not really <laughs> sure if I was doing that right, but I think that I like Ben Affleck as an actor a little bit more. I don't know who the other guy is, so I chose Ben Affleck, and somehow, at the end, it said, you are Superman. That's what it told me. So I did a few more. I discovered that as far as cereal mascots go, I'm the angry apple from Applejacks. That was pretty cool. Um, as far as 90s rock songs, I would be Buddy Holly by Weezer. Uh, it turns out that I'm actually only 10% Oprah. That was a little disappointing that um, I'm only 10% Oprah. And I am more Rory Gilmore than Lorelei. I don't even know who either of those women are, but I just answered these random questions and it told me that I'm more Rory than Lorelei. So there you go. I did all these quizzes. So now you know a lot more about me. I know a lot more about me. Fascinating, I know. And some of you, I think, are probably laughing at the lameness of these quizzes. But why is it then that people are doing them? Why is it that people are drawn to them and they're going through these quizzes? Why is it that people take time from their busy lives, or let's be honest, during their work days, to um, answer these ridiculous questions that really just don't amount to very much at all? 
We've all seen our Facebook feed. These appear, and I bet for every one person who's taken one of these quizzes and published the results, there's at least 20 who have also taken them but haven't published the results. So why do them at all? Maybe it's because these quizzes, they they pretend to answer this age-old question that many of us have asked, the age-old question of who am I? It's a question that has been asked by philosophers for centuries now. Who am I? Who am I? I don't know. Wise people. For hundreds of years have been asking this question, who am I? It's kind of a question that's deep down in every one of us. And over these next five weeks in this series that we've called Masterpiece, we're going to try to find the answer to that question. Because I think that it's possible to find an answer to that question, who am I? Especially this morning if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, I think we can read through the scriptures and we can find the answer to that question. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christ follower. Maybe you came last week for Easter Sunday and uh, you enjoyed it. You thought you'd come and check it out just one more time. Maybe you've been visiting us for a while and you're just kind of checking things out. You've got a friend or a family member who comes regularly and they, they themselves are followers of Jesus and you're interested in this, but you're not really sure. Well, this will be a great series for you too. Because in this series, we're going to kind of lay out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and, and how we can find our true identity in Jesus. So you'll get to hear that kind of explained and, and laid out. And maybe here this morning, you are a follower of Jesus. And, and for you, it'll help you because, you know, you may have made a decision recently or, or a long time ago, but, but maybe it's something that's deep inside of you, like, yeah, but what does this really look like? Now that I'm following Jesus, how does that affect me? Who am I really? Because the reality is, being a follower of Jesus, it's more than just a trip to a church or a, a middle school once a week for an hour or so. It's so much more. It actually changes who we are. Some of us, you know, spend a lifetime trying to figure this out on our own. But during this series, we want to help you find your identity in Christ. So we're actually going to spend a lot of time throughout this series in a book in the Bible called Ephesians. Ephesians was actually a letter, and it was written to a church in a city called Ephesus. A guy by the name of Paul, we heard him speaking earlier when we were talking about communion. He wrote a good portion of the New Testament. He was actually once part of this church in Ephesus, and he wrote this letter to them around 60 AD, so about 60 years after the birth of Christ, maybe about 25 or 30 years after the death of Jesus. He wrote this letter to his friends and and these followers of Jesus back in Ephesus to instruct and encourage the Christ followers there. Now, since this letter was written to a, a particular city, I thought it might be helpful for us as we go through this letter over the next few weeks to know a little bit more about the culture back then in Ephesus. You see, Ephesus was a huge city of that time, a very large, prosperous harbor city. It was very famous. It actually contained one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, um, a temple called the Temple of Artemis. This temple was devoted to the worship of a a Greek goddess named Artemis, and it was built around 700 BC, 
And it was destroyed and completely rebuilt three different times before its eventual destruction in 401 AD. So for almost a thousand years, this temple would have stood in this city. People from miles around would have known about Ephesus. This would have been a huge city in its day. Life itself for the people of Ephesus, it would have circled around this temple. From commerce to worship to tourism, even careers would have all been based around this temple. So the people of Ephesus, they would have found a large part of their identity in this temple and in the city in which they lived. Maybe some of them found this particular temple, this particular religion to be an empty religion and had questions because the church and the followers of Jesus, they were growing in that city. But I have to assume that the Ephesians were probably a lot like us. People on a journey wondering, who am I? So in his letter to them, Paul spends a lot of time reminding these these Christ followers in Ephesus and us as we read the letter today, the truth about our identity. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, Paul starts out the letter. He starts out with a few greetings, then he goes straight into what he wants to tell them. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So do you want to know this morning the answer to the question, who am I? You know, if you were a follower of Jesus this morning, that answer is not found in your job or in your relationship or in your bank accounts. You want to discover your true identity by working harder, dressing sharper, parenting smarter. In fact, there's really nothing you can do to define the most important thing about you except to embrace it. Because as followers of Jesus, our primary identity is it's not built on something we do or something we will do. It's actually built on something that's been done. Through Jesus Christ, you have been adopted as God's son, as his daughter. You are a child of God. That is what Paul was telling the, the people of Ephesus at that time. That's what Paul is telling us still today, that we are children of God. That's, that's what it means to be adopted as into that sonship. Think about what it means to be adopted. Case and I, we have lots of friends who have adopted children, some of whom attend here at Connect. There was a couple we worked with at that previous church, and wonderful couple. They had a daughter of their own, and uh, they started to foster these two little girls. And through this time of fostering them, they just kind of fell in love with them. And there came a point where there was an opportunity for them to adopt these two little girls. And they made that decision. We want to adopt these two little girls. We want them to be a part of our family. This is a picture of them at the courthouse on the day of the adoption. And those two precious little sisters in the front row are now um, adopted into this family. Joan and Elizabeth are their parents. And it's funny because I remember Joan and Elizabeth before they adopted those two little girls. And now I can't think of them as a family without all three of those children. They gave them a new name. They gave them a, a new legal standing. There was now a new family relationship that they were a part of. And that's what's been given to us in Christ. We have a new name as God's child. 
We now have a new legal standing. We stand before him holy and blameless in his sight. We are part of his family. But the greatest thing about all of this is that our identity is not based on something we do, but on something that's already been done. Our identity is not based on something that we do, but on something that's already been done by Jesus. That's huge. This is the unique message of Christianity. It's the gospel message, the good news, that we don't have to strive anymore. We don't have to earn anymore. We don't have to compete anymore. That our identity is built on something that's already been done for us. There was a a pastor and a, a great leader. His name's Tim Keller. And he describes this idea this way. He says that a gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that's been done that changes your status forever. Other religions say that this is what you have to do um, in order to connect to God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. But the gospel, the gospel says that this is what has been done in history This is how Jesus lived and died to earn the way to God for you. And that's what we celebrated last weekend here at Connect and and all around the world. Followers of Jesus were celebrating the fact that this has already been done for us. That Jesus died and we remember that on Good Friday that he rose again and we remember that on Easter Sunday. And now as a follower of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, we are God's adopted children. God's adopted son, God's adopted daughter. We are a child of God. And that now can be our primary identity. So right out of the gate, Paul starts this letter by reminding the Ephesians of this truth. And I have to guess that maybe they needed reminding of it, as we do this morning. Because we can lose sight of that that great news. We can lose sight of that primary identity that God has given us. I think that was a problem maybe 2,000 years ago. I think it's still a problem today. Because the problem is that there's something that trips us up when it comes to identity. Because sometimes I think, and maybe more likely oftentimes, we allow our identity to be based on labels. They may be labels that others have placed on us. Maybe they're labels that we've given to ourselves. But so often these labels, they're not really a true representation of who we are at all. Take a moment and and look at the label you were given today. Everyone came in today and they were given a label and they were meant to be random, but I've looked around and uh, I see my daughter in the front row is wearing um, cheerleader and prom queen. So I think she uh, somehow managed to snag two labels and uh, very proudly is wearing them this morning. But they were meant to be random labels that you were given this morning. And you probably recognize some of the words on these labels. In fact, there they all are up there. They're labels that are very typically put on one another in high school. Things like jock, band nerd, popular, teacher's pet, whatever it may be. Now, I have to be honest, I uh, I have a bit of a hard time relating to these labels. I didn't go to school uh, in America growing up. I went to school in England. Uh, My school was a lot different over there. I actually didn't go to a public school. I went to a private school. And this um, private school, uh, everyone had to wear uniforms. So I wore a blazer and tie to school every day. Uh, They they called you by your last name. So I was Jane. That was awesome. Um, So... um, 
So at my school, everyone were nerds. I mean, we're there in a blazer and ties, you know, it's a private school, even the jocks. At our school, one of the main sports we played was a game called cricket. So uh, even our jocks weren't really jocks, you know, even they were kind of nerdy to play a game like that. So there weren't quite as many stereotypes, but fortunately, fortunately, um, I did in the 80s watch a movie called The Breakfast Club. I know, yes. So I understand completely now American high school culture and the stereotypes. I know, I, I talked about Ferris Bueller's Day Off a couple of weeks ago, now I'm talking, I think I just spent the entire 80s watching movies uh, about America, but I think it was God preparing me to one day be here because I feel more educated now about America and life over here. But I remember watching this movie and it, and it was talking all about the stereotypes of, of teenagers in high school. And how they were all in these different groupings, but they came together for this detention. And as the movie unfolded, basically they were all just the same teenagers with the same problems, the same issues. But because of the labels that have been placed on them, they were living these separate lives from one another. And it exposes the problems that, that we feel because of these labels. Maybe this morning you're wearing a label that fit who you were in high school. I, apparently I'm randomly wearing class clown. <laughs> I don't, this was given to me, so um, this, uh, this may well have been the label that I would have worn in high school. But maybe this morning you're not. In fact, maybe this morning you've looked at your label and it actually brought back some uncomfortable memories. Maybe this was a person that you despised in high school. Maybe it was somebody you really wanted to be in high school. But the problem is that we're all so familiar, aren't we, with how these labels were in high school and how those groupings were. But the reality is that most of us, when we graduated high school, we didn't take off the labels. In fact, some of us have worn labels like these for many years, maybe our entire life. Except maybe these labels, they say different things. Maybe they say something like disappointment or ugly or unworthy. These could have been phrases that people have said about you and you've kind of adopted it as a label. Or maybe you yourself, you've, you've kind of felt that this is who you are and you've, you've put that label on yourself. Or maybe you, you try to wear positive labels. You want to change who you are. So your label says successful, stylish, overachiever. Maybe your label isn't so much about who you are, it's about what you want to do in life and, and who you want others to see you as. So your label says career, possessions, appearance, achievements, relationships, because all of these are different labels that we put on because we want them to help shape our identity. But here's the problem when we put these labels on. We become so used to them that they kind of become defining marks of our identity, so whether we like our labels or we despise our labels, we let these labels define who we are instead of as followers of Jesus, allowing God to define who we are. So we find ourselves living these lives that these labels are defining who we are. And there can be some real problems with, with looking to these labels for our identity. Because even if we like some of the labels that we wear, they can still trip us up and tear us down. You see, I think labels can lead to pride, and I think labels can lead to shame. And I think either destination is a very um, bad place to end up. 
Take careers, for example. Maybe you've um, put this on your, your label. You know, you want your career to help define your identity. It's your status. It's the importance of your job. We take pride in it. It helps give you some value because this is the label I wear. This is who I am. This is what I do. But, but what happens if, if life throws you a curveball? What happens if you lose that job? What happens if you lose that possession or that friend or whatever that label may be? If your identity is wrapped up in that label... That can, can turn your life upside down. That's the danger of pride in these labels. But shame is another problem, maybe even a bigger problem. I think shame can lead us to want to wanna wear labels in, in a competitive way. If I'm looking for my identity and success, I will be under constant pressure to be more successful than you. If I'm looking for my identity and appearance, I'm, I'm always feeling that I need to, to look better than you. And all of a sudden, my whole perspective is all tied to how I compare to you. And if I find that I don't measure up to the label that I'm trying to wear, I feel shame. And we encounter this so often in our lives. I think whether you're a man or a woman this morning, there's that competitive edge that we want to try and be who we, who we really want to be. We want to live up to the label that we've given ourselves. But sometimes we feel that we fall short. You know, there's nothing that can lead to shame and a feeling of failure more than Facebook and Instagram. Have you ever noticed that? You look on someone's feed and you're like, oh, look at that family. Look at that woman. Look at what she's getting done during the... And it's just, it's so hard. I came across this video that illustrates this point so well. So check out this video. Well, 
That's what makes it so hard, doesn't it? Because we've all got a Molly Jones in our life, haven't we? Someone who we see their lives on Facebook, we're like, oh, why can't our lives be close to them? And even her life wasn't like that in real life. But because of these labels that we've put ourselves on, put ourselves under, we're, we're struggling to try and be this identity of this perfect mom or this perfect wife or a perfect dad or a perfect husband. And, and we always find that we're going to fall short. And we feel shame. But you are so much more than the labels that you might be wearing. You don't have to find your identity in these things anymore. It's actually possible to step away from the competition and the comparing to discover the truth of who you are. Paul says that you are God's adopted son. You are God's adopted daughter. You are a child of God. And that, this morning, is your primary identity. Paul actually goes on to write more to the Ephesians to really kind of help clarify this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says in Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 5, he's talking about the past. And he's saying, listen, the past is in the past. You may have messed up, but that's behind you now. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. He's saying, listen, all those ways you've messed up and screwed up and failed to measure up, they don't need to define you anymore. All that shame you've carried, you don't need to carry it anymore. Who you were doesn't define you anymore. You are now God's adopted son. You are God's adopted daughter. You are a child of God. You are enough. He actually goes on to, to illustrate this point even more. He talks about the idea that this, this identity that we now have in God is something we've been given. We don't deserve it. There's, there's no way we can earn it. It is a gift from God. Listen to how he explains it in Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. He says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. He's saying there is nothing you can do to earn God's love or favor. You know, my friends, Joe and Elizabeth, when they um, fostered these two beautiful little sisters, they just fell in love with them. And there came this moment where they were uh, presented with the opportunity to, to adopt these two little girls and bring them into their family. And we know Joe and Elizabeth well, and we, you know, this isn't what they did. We know that they didn't do this. They didn't sit down with those two little girls and say, now listen, if you'll be good enough and if you'll work hard enough around the house and if you study so that one day you'll go to college and get a really good career and earn some good money to pay us back, then we'll love you. They didn't say that. They just said, we want to adopt you because we love you. And that's what Paul is saying that God has done for us. He's adopted us into his family. Just like those two little girls, nothing they could do to would ever make their new parents love them anymore. There's nothing we can do that will make God love us anymore. And then finally, in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul just comes in and he seals the whole deal. He says this in, in uh, Ephesians 2 chapter 10. He says, we are God's masterpiece. 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And this is where we, we came up with the idea, the concept for the series, and, and called it Masterpiece. Because in Ephesians 2, chapter 10, God says, when I look at you, I didn't just adopt you into my family. I consider you my masterpiece. You are God's Mona Lisa. You're God's David. You're God's Sistine Chapel. He doesn't just see, you know, a waif or stray and someone who he kind of rescued. He says, no, it's more than just that. Not only are you now adopted into my family, when I look upon you, I, I don't see the labels. I see a masterpiece. That's how precious, that's how much I love you. That's what you mean to me. You are God's adopted son. You are God's adopted daughter. You are a child of God. So that label we put on you this morning when you came in, I want you right now to just take that off. And I want you to look at it just for a second because maybe this isn't who you were or who you are. Maybe it is. But I want you to think just for a second about maybe some of the labels that you've put upon yourself. If you could erase these words today and write some, some of your own words on them, maybe there are some labels that you've put on yourself. Labels that have kind of led you to feel some shame or labels that have led you to kind of feel some pride. Labels that have led you to try and compete with other people to show that you're better or that you're um, reaching the standard of the label that you've put on yourself. But here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you just to tear that label in half. <laughs> I actually hadn't torn this until just now. It's not very easy to tear. <laughs> it's tricky, isn't it? <laughs> that illustration worked well. I've got another favor to ask. Please throw them in the garbage when you leave. Otherwise, the teardown team will have a label for me when they have to go around this morning um, picking up all these bits of labels off the ground. But as you tore those labels in half, I hope symbolically that represented something for you this morning. The idea that you no longer want to be defined by those labels that either you've put on yourself or others have put on you. But this morning, you accept as a, as a follower of Jesus the label that you are an adopted son. You are an adopted daughter. You are a child of God. Because as we take on that label, it changes how we live. It changes how we view ourselves. It changes who we see in the mirror each morning. I may have told you this story before, but several years ago, I was invited to a, um, a banquet in Peoria, and it was to celebrate the, the life and the work of a man in Peoria by the name of Carl Cannon. And some of you may have heard of this guy. He works in Peoria, and he's a great follower of Jesus. And he runs this program that works with teenagers, uh, at-risk teenagers in the high schools of Peoria, especially some of the inner city areas. And he brings these teenagers into this kind of extracurricular program outside of school where they're taught just real basic things like respect and manners and discipline. And these kids, they go through this program. They get to graduate this program. There's many uh, businesses in Peoria. Hy-Vee's one of them that will employ students from this program because of how well these kids develop in the area of respect and trust. And at this particular banquet where they were honoring this man, the mayor was there, the police chief was there, there were several dignitaries from Peoria that were there. And at one table, there were eight or ten of the graduates of his program sat there. And at the end, they asked Carl Cannon if he'd come up and, and give a little speech, and he just thanked everyone for the award. He was very humble and very gracious. 
But he said, I'll tell you why I do what I do. He says, for the kids that are sat at that table right now. He says, in fact, um, I forget the boy's name, but he, he called out this boy's name. He said, stand up, will you? And this 17, 18-year-old boy, he stood up and he said, this young man here, he's headed off to college in the fall. He's the first person ever in his family to graduate high school and go to college. And everyone gave a round of applause and they were like really proud and impressed of this kid. And, and he went to sit down. He goes, no, 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 you stay standing. I'm not done. He says, because this kid, he's not just going to college. He's going to college to study criminal law, criminal justice. He said, in fact, right now, while you're standing, he looked across to this side of the room, the police chief was sat over here. He goes, Mr. Seddensgard, I think it was at the time, the police chief, he goes, I'd like you to stand as well. And the police chief stood up. He said, I'll tell you why I wanted you to stand and I wanted you to stand. He said, young man, I want you to look at that guy over there because one day you'll be that guy. One day you could be the police chief of Peoria. And everyone started clapping again. But at that moment, I remember looking at that guy and it was like a switch flicked in his mind. As I looked at this young man who obviously had grown up in poverty, maybe in crime, and, and it was the first of his family to ever get to go to college. It was as if in that moment, all these labels just started to fall off of him. No hope, crime, poverty, whatever labels had been given to him because of his, his upbringing or his family or his environment, those labels started to disappear. And in that moment, as he looked at that police chief, it was almost like a new label, like, I could be him. I could do that. That's how powerful it is when we'll allow those labels that we've put on ourselves to be taken away and adopt this new label of child of God. That is who God sees. You are his masterpiece. Those things, those labels, it doesn't matter if they lead us to pride or shame. They don't define us anymore. They don't tell us the truth about ourselves. You are God's adopted son. You are God's adopted daughter. You are a child of God. In fact, more than that, you are God's masterpiece. Let's pray together, shall we? God, it's very easy to listen to these words intellectually and think, yeah, that's true. I, I, I can believe that. But Lord, if all we do is leave this morning as a kind of a lesson, thinking, yeah, I, I can believe that to be true, then, then we've missed the real truth of this. God, this needs to be more than just something that goes into our heads. This needs to be something that goes into our hearts. That we are your masterpiece. That when you look down upon us, Lord, you don't see the labels that we may have put upon ourselves, the labels that we've used to define ourselves. You see us as an adopted child of God. And not just adopted in the sense that, oh, they needed help, so I'll take them in. No, you see us as your masterpiece, it says. You have such high value for us. Help us to, to live our lives this week and in the coming weeks in the knowledge that we are your masterpiece. That is our identity. That is who we are in you. That's the answer to the question, who am I? Thank you, Jesus. Amen.